Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle, an hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock, when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. We've got Ryan and Christian on the other side of the glass. Kevin, keep an eye on the, shing, on the, the, on the show. I used to say air traffic control, but a few people called in and thought that he was literally doing that. No, he's just kind of keeping an eye on things. Ryan Adams bringing us in. We're here till 3 o'clock when Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. I swear to God, if he wants to talk about Chinese balloons, I'm going to put a gun in my mouth. I mean, please, enough with the Chinese balloons. Let's move on to something else. Uh, you can catch us every week on WBCRadio.com or on our app, or you can always get this as a podcast. You can reach me directly at at Rep Wiener, Wiener, W-A-B-C at gmail.com, or just calling in 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm in a great mood today. The Islanders, with a big win last night, they were down two goals twice, came back and beat Pittsburgh. It's basically playoff time already because they're right on the bubble. They've got Pittsburgh that they're competing with. They've got Washington, Florida's coming up, and they play all these teams. They play nothing but good teams for the next week or so. Jordan and I were watching it last night. It was like a playoff game. Um, we were a little bit concerned because he was saying I was not sitting in the good luck seat, but it turned out it worked out um, just fine. Also, uh, Jordan won another game last week. He plays one again tomorrow. Got to tell you, they're, they're, he's getting a lot better. The team is getting a lot better. They're starting to light it up a little bit. And good for him. Good for him. Very proud of him. I mean, you know, he got him up this morning. He had practice at 7 o'clock. They wanted him there a little bit earlier. So he had, I mean, I'm dragging him out of bed at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And he's an 11-year-old. He likes his sleep. And he doesn't complain, gets up, heads out the door. He's really committed. I'm really super proud of him. Um, he was really riding me this week. I don't know, it was like, must have been Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe a little later. It might have been Thursday. It was like 70 degrees. Yes, Thursday. It was like 70 degrees outside. And I was loving it. And I was saying, isn't it great that we have this beautiful weather? And he glared at me. He said, that is just not cool, Dad. And I, I didn't understand what he was Talking about it, and, and I'm like, I'm, I I know you like cold weather. I mean, he says, no, that's not it. He says, this is not good for the globe. It's not good for the world. This is global warming. You should be very, very concerned about this. And he's not wrong. I mean, yeah, global warming. Yeah, I'm, I am. I'm very concerned about it. But the, I'm very conflicted about whether it's an appropriate thing for me not to like it that there's nice weather out. I mean, I can like nice weather. Can I just live no matter whether it's global warming or not? Can't I have nice weather? But he's down on me. He thinks I haven't been suitably supportive of his efforts and his classmates' effort to be woke, maybe. I don't know what it is. 35 and clout. Um, that's right. No one likes to practice his news right in the middle of my opening monologue. Like he needs any practice. The man is a... Anyway, 
If you've been following him down the morning, he's been doing these deep dives. Go back and listen to You get on the Red Apple Podcast Network. He's part of Sid's crew that comes in, and if he does these deep dives. He did one this week. I don't know. He did one this week where he was trying to – it was last week. He was trying to figure out what the, the market was for – what's the way to say it, AM radio? For ladies of the night around the Super Bowl venues, and so he made some calls. He said it was part of his work. I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, getting back, so uh, Jordan was complaining to me that I uh, would like the good weather. I apologize for that to anyone who's offended by that. Very interesting week also in campaign 2024. Nikki Haley announces that she's running. A little bit of a surprise. She said that she wouldn't. Don Lemon, that blockhead on CNN. <laughs> now that he, you know, I've watched the whole flight, but for those of you who haven't heard about this, he complained that she won't do very well because she's not in her prime. I don't even know what that meant, but Don Lemon has been put on the bench for a little while, as he should be. The interesting thing about about Nikki Haley is that I know Donald Trump probably attacks her because he he doesn't know any other gear. Having people that used to work for Donald Trump on the stage with him, like um, Pompeo, Nikki Haley, is good for Trump. These are people that work for him. They look they look smaller standing next to him, and also. How much can they really criticize Donald Trump when they were part of the administration and part of whatever they're going to say critical about him? All they have to do is say, listen, I I hired you and did we have a good record? That kind of stuff. So I'm not sure I see her rationale. But Donald Trump is probably he can't help himself. He's going to attack Nikki Haley. But um, I think it's it's obviously good for Donald Trump to have more candidates in the race, not fewer. So let's get to some of the numbers of the week. Each week I like to do some numbers. Sometimes they're interesting. Sometimes they're just quirky. Sometimes they're just things that bring context to another story I want to talk about. We've heard a lot about inflation. I discovered this week a website called McCheapest.com, which tracks the price of a Big Mac in every McDonald's around the country. So I, I put the arrow next to our studio. The highest price for a Big Mac in our area is uh, the first number of the week, $7.89. It's on Route 17 North in Paramus, seven eighty nine. The lowest in our area is at the Morris County Mall, four ninety nine. But if you're interested in what is the lowest in the whole country, have you been to Stigler, Oklahoma? $3.49 can get to a Big Mac. And the most expensive is actually really in our listening area. Maybe this should be included. On the westbound lanes of the Massachusetts Turnpike, in Lee, Massachusetts, if you want a Big Mac, it's going to cost you $8.09. That's one number of the week. Another number, 33%. That's the number of people who are recovering from a stroke suffer the effects of depression. Senator John Fetterman publicly announced that he is dealing with that mental health challenge. And what it was interesting is also, I did not know this, but there it's treatable and that just about uh, the 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 people to get their function their function back and the symptoms of depression um, uh, come back in an overwhelming number of cases when they get treatment. So we we wish him well. I think the more that people talk about mental health struggles, the better. The better it is for everyone. Uh, next, um, one point seven one point seven miles long. That's how long the train was that derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. 1.7 miles long. It had two uh, tr- uh, crew members plus one trainee on it. That's 150 cars. You've probably read that number. And we're now coming, becoming very familiar with these flammable carcinogens, vinyl chloride, benzene. The train, however, was not labeled as a high-hazard flammable train. When you label it that way, which this one should have been, then there are special precautions, people along the the. Fire departments along the way are notified of special things were going going on. This was not an isolated case. I know we're acting like, oh, my goodness, this is such an unusual case. Over a 1,000 derailments every year, and that's actually down. There are fewer than there used to be, but it's still very high. There's no doubt. We've all been hearing these stories. There is no doubt that there are plenty of ways to make this safer. John Katsimatidis talked about it on his show the other day. You can make the container safer by making them double hull. You can upgrade the brake technology, electronic pneumatic brakes, rather than these ones of the Civil War era where basically you brake the train by slowing down one car at a time. Makes about 60% easier to, to stop them. You can install heat sensors, which are basically they call these hot bot detectors, which 
measure the bearings, which is usually a problem with a um, with a derailment is an overheated or melted bearing. And you can increase the staffing on the trains and at the yards doing the inspections. None of that happened with this train. And why? I mean, we've heard a lot about it. It If you want to know why, it is a look at how power in our country is concentrated with the wealthy and what that and what that means when it's when the wealthy are corporations and their executives and shareholders, they're the ones making decisions. I can tell you where it doesn't reside. It doesn't reside with people who live near train tracks or people who live near oil pipelines or people who work for train companies, nor for people who care about water and streams not killing the fish or not with the kids who play alongside these things. I mean, look, not every story has a villain. That's one of the things I talk about on this show. Sometimes things just are. Sometimes you just have acts of God. Sometimes you just have things that happen. And not every narrative needs to have a clear idea that this person or this agency or this thing did something wrong. But let's take a look at this one. You know, on Friday the 3rd is when this derailment happened. Friday, two days later, Pete Buttigieg, the head of transportation, was on not one, not two, but three of the big Sunday TV talk shows. And it's hard to say which, who is more out of touch with those interviews. Buttigieg, for not even mentioning the derailment, or the media, who had him for these long interviews and were so obsessed with this stupid balloon story that no one even mentioned it. I mean, that's Sunday. And then a full eight days more before Buttigieg even says anything about it. That's like 10 days after the crash. You've seen that number a lot of places. That's not a good look. And Governor DeWine, the governor I served with him, the governor in, in the Congress, waiting until Thursday, just the day before yesterday, to ask for any federal help, that also looks silly. I mean, Noam's been playing these cuts of Mike DeWine basically saying everything's fine. Okay, I get it. We we're going to let this. We're going to trust the science. But how about a little outrage? How about a little whatever? How about asking for the federal government for help sooner? I mean, but like so many of these things, where industry was able to succeed and not having to do what was probably in the best interests of citizens, this comes down to money. Money to lobby during the Obama years. This is not. You know, this is not a purely partisan thing. I mean, one party is worse on these regulatory things. But they lobbied during the Obama years when the railroad industry fought off a lot of the regulations I just talked about. And they managed to limit the quote-unquote damage when these rules were adopted that required the brake technology. Of all those things, the only thing that the Obama regulations did was they added, you got to put these brakes on. This is ridiculous. You can't have brakes from the Civil War. So what did they do? They did what people do in the United States of America when you're rich and powerful, when you're a big corporation. They contributed about six million bucks to Trump and the Republicans. And when Trump came in, even that one break rule was eliminated. Now, here we are basically two years into the Biden administration and Buttigieg has done nothing to put it back into place. But that be the case. And, but let's keep in mind, a lot of people have made this point. But I'm going to say, let's keep in mind where these train tracks run. They run through the heart of red America. Just about every district touched by these train tracks is a district that voted for Donald Trump and is a district that has a Republican congressman. These donations went to politicians in these areas who responded by making these people less safe. People say, well... uh, you're Democrat or Republican, you know, like in this case, the power doesn't lie with either one of those two parties because the party that represented these people took the money and then made these people less safe. I mean, you want to have hearings on weaponization of government? Good. You know, I've said that before. Go do it. But maybe have some hearings on the abandonment of the federal government when it comes to these kinds of things. And this is not the, the only instance. I mean, we heard about this, the shortages of baby formula was because the Industry had lobbied to change regulations or to make it harder for people to bring in product from overseas so that they would keep their monopoly. We heard it when the airlines stranded families for days at a time, why these regulations hadn't been tightened on the airlines. And now, you know, we needed to to protect people who live near railroad tracks. 
And if you're going to call in today, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, and you're going to say, oh, oil companies aren't so bad, it's fine that they make these profits, and railroads, you know, I like the railroads being in charge of our health and our environment, then you can make that argument. Sure, go ahead. But Northern, uh, Norfolk Southern is doing very well as a company. They've done very well. And with the money that they saved, hundreds of millions of dollars, they, they bought back their own stock and they raised dividends on shareholders. And while they were at it, they reduced their workforce by about 30%. They put in place this new system that allows them to get more trains on the track faster. And one of the ways they do it is by reducing the time they inspect each car, 150 cars, carrying chemicals and oil and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the simple fact is that when we try to figure out in this country where does the power lie, we sometimes look at it like it's a sporting event, that either Team Red or Team Blue has the power. No, you know who has the power in this country? Team Corporate, Team Money. Because when we're not looking, they're lobbying. When an agency stands up and says, when you have people at an agency says, all right, who gets up every morning and says, my job is going to be to go into the office and come up with regulations to protect people who live near railroad tracks. They're up against millions of dollars of lobbying to make sure that the rules they come up with don't get implemented. And sometimes they got a political guy above them in the chain of command who was hired because someone made a campaign promise to make things easier on railroad companies because they made a contribution to a politician somewhere along the line. You want to know where the power lies in this country? It's not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's the people in the boardrooms, the people who have the paychecks, the people that hire the lobbyists. We here in the middle want to hear from you, though. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm taking you to 3 o'clock. Then Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. It's great to have you along on the middle. We'll see you on the other side. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Anthony Weiner, Little Steven, and the Disciples of Soul bring us back in. See if you can see the pattern. We're going to have three songs today. Little Steven Van Zant, friend of the station, a friend of Sid's. Um, you know, someone pointed out to me during the break, and you know that there is a there is a connection between Jordan asking me about global warming and whether it's nice to be happy about a nice day outside when the world's on fire, and this story in East Palestine. And there kind of is. I mean, there, there kind of is. You know, there there are many different kinds of environmental stories in the world. And there's stories of how we're slowly, you know, boiling the pot with the frog in it. And then there's the story about how there is there are different levels of, of environmental justice that people have to put up with environmental degradation in some parts of the world that in other parts of the world they don't. And, you know, someone, you know, people say, well, people have, we're ignoring these people because they're in a red state or what? No, the fact is 
every people who don't have economic means get ignored. That happens. Money talks in this in this political system that we have. No one knows it better than I. I would spend four hours a day calling up rich people asking them for money to get ready for my next reelection. And very rarely, when I was on one of these fundraising calls, did one of these people say to me, hey, do me a favor, keep an eye on the conditions in your railroad tracks going through the middle of the country. Very rarely did that happen. Now, I didn't take money from the railroad industry. They didn't want to give it to me. And I didn't ask them, to be honest with you, but they're a big, they're a big force. And the fact of the matter is that if you went and you looked at where the donations came in these rural congressmen's districts and these rural governor's districts in, in their states, I bet you they took money from the rare, the same railroad industry that goes every year to Washington and says, don't make this thing safe or make it less safe. And railroads are just one part of this, you know, food safety. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about, about, you know, the, 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 the power that so many businesses have in this country. And the one thing that they love is they love us at each other's throat. Oh, this is a red versus blue thing. Or like, oh, it's Biden's fault, or Buttigieg's fault, or it's DeWine's fault, or it's Trump's fault. What it really is is the way this system is stacked against us. It's stacked to favor people that want – that want that want particularly when it's something like this, an obscure regulation. I mean, you think these families that are near these railroad tracks have the wherewithal to spend a couple hours a day like lobbying their legislators about – you know, sensors on the trains? They don't. And all the while, someone is. Someone's at a fundraiser somewhere or someone's lobbying an administration somewhere. So let's go to some calls. 800-848-WBC, 800-848-9222. Let's start out with Kim in Westchester. Kim, welcome back. Hi, Mr. Weiner. Thanks for taking my call. Um, just a quick funny thing I thought um, when you were speaking to your son Jordan about the weather and climate and um, obviously, you know, we need to protect the climate, you know, to all extents that we can. But weren't, wasn't this whole entire area under a glacier at one point? So the earth has been uh, warming since the beginning of time. So does anyone really think about that ever? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are people that study this, and there's a way that you can study the the relative temperature of the world by actually looking at glacial ice. Because what happens is, year by year, um, carbon gets trapped in the ice at different levels. As it gets a little warmer, then it gets a little colder. Carbon gets trapped, and you can carbon date how much what the temperature was. There are ways to do this. This is not, it's not all that controversial the way they do it. And so the temperatures that we're hitting, that we're getting to because of these man-made effects are to some degree to be expected. Now, there are things that led to ice ages in the past. There's no sign that one of those things is going to happen. If it does, if we get smacked by a meteor and not, you know, then yeah, we, we have, we have problems. But the the thing about this is that we can tell to some degree it's kind of obvious that man is making these things right. We're we're creating all of this heat. We're creating all of this machinery. We're creating all of this people that is having some effect is not a, a mystery. The question is, do we try to do something to react to it? But um, but yeah, I mean, temperature goes up and down. I'm not talking about temperature. Jordan actually was. I was talking about temperature. Jordan was talking about climate. Those are two different things. But the more relevant thing to me is this idea that he is kind of growing up as an aware kid, thinking that if it's a warm day in February, something could be wrong. And he's not wrong about that, I guess. But, you know, I wish he would just be someone who saw a warm day in February and said, great, I can wear my hoodie instead of my, my down parka. But that that um, that might that that might that horse might have left the barn. Steve in Long Island. Steve, welcome back. Thanks for calling. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm enjoying your show and your topics. Okay, I want to talk about the train derailment real quick. First of all, the train in question had 150 cars. You're only supposed to have 100, okay? So and not only that, it had 10 tanker cars full of this vinyl chloride. And each car with the weight is probably 10,000 gallons a car. 
uh, hundred thousand pounds in each car. That's a million pounds alone just in the ten tanker cars. So, where's the federal inspector at the initiation of this train run to, to see that they're only pulling a hundred cars? Secondly, EPA should have been out there immediately. Pete Buttigieg, who I think is just totally useless, should have been out there, and you know the governor should have been more forceful and asked for federal help earlier, as soon as this thing happened. I'm sure you've all seen the pictures of that big cloud going up in the air. And whose bright idea was it to set this on fire with a so-called control burn? I mean, it's insanity all the way around. Well, I I, I don't know the, the facts that you sound like you, you know so I, I knew the fact about 150 cars. I told you 1.7 miles long this was. I know that they've changed the timing, so now rather than – uh, 90 seconds per car, they get 30 seconds to inspect it. But I'm going to summarize Steve's call the same way I would summarize a lot of these a lot of these reports on Fox News and a lot of these Republican members of Congress who are standing up criticizing Joe Biden. Uh, the summary is the age of big government is back. We want it back. We want inspectors. We want rules. We want the EPA in there being muscular. We want... We want the the National Rail Transportation Board to be vigorous. We want, you know, uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were hearing talk about let's cut all these agencies by a third. I mean, we should want these regulators out there doing their jobs to defend us against these corporate interests. That's the bottom line. We shouldn't be out there like now. I don't know. Control burn, not control burn. The thing shouldn't be burning in the first place. If someone recommends double hulls for these things, because they're going through residential areas, and just about every one of these does, and that's the safest way to do it, let's go for that. You have a 1,000 derailments a year, and that's actually down. How can there even be an argument if with that many derailments you you shouldn't have double hull whatever and heat sensor whatever? I'm no no expert on rail any more than, than anyone else is. But I just see the, I see the consistent pattern here. That a big corporate entity, this is like Warren Buffett apparently, is heavily invested in trains. You know, he they, they want less regulation. That's what big business wants, less regulation. And what, are the regu- what forms do the regulation take? Safety. It takes health. It takes worker, worker uh, rights and safety. Yet they try to break the unions. They try to minimize the, the thing, and then they, they – and, and how do they do it? They don't do it noisily. They don't run TV commercials saying we want to make the, make these things less safe. They, they hire $1,000-an-hour lobbyists. I've met them. They're very nice people. They're doing their jobs. But their job is to speak on behalf of the train industry or the baby food industry or the oil industry or the agribusiness industry. It's not to represent you and me. So when Steve calls in and says he shouldn't have done this, they should have done this, and we have to have this inspection and that inspection, that's right. And what's going to happen? By the middle of this week, we're going to go back to some other issue that got us ticked off until the next unavoidable accident. These things are not unavoidable. They're not acts of God. There's no reason there has to be a 1,000-plus derailments. I am not a trained derailment expert. It took me five minutes of Googling to find out that we have thousands of derailments every year. And it took me 25 minutes to find out the agency that proposed to change it, and, and they, they were overruled. And Biden doesn't have clean hands here. You want to blame Trump for getting rid of that break rule? Fine. It's two years in. I haven't, I, I, I haven't seen Buttigieg on, you know, talking about this at all. And, he, and he's, by the way, now that he's out there, finally, say it. Oh, and then the other thing, oh, this ticked me off. They put out a statement saying that we're legally constrained to do much more than we're doing because of a Trump era rule. I get it. You want to do politics? Fine. Do politics. I'm a Democrat. Fine. You want to take a run at Trump? Fine. That should not be the first thing out of your mouth. It should be. We're putting this rule back in place. How about that? Here's what we're doing. And if you want to find out what happened to that rule in the first place, I'll explain. But now it's two years in. There's only so How much longer are you going to say, well, uh, Trump, you know, Trump left us a mess. Fine. You're two years in. You're already starting re-election. I bet it's because Pete Buttigieg didn't want to, and maybe his boss, 
didn't want to take on the railroad industry because, they, you know, they know how tough they are. All right, fine. Um, okay, let's go back to the calls. Let's go to Edward in Illinois. Edward, welcome aboard. Yeah, Anthony, thank you for taking my call. So over here in Chicago, uh, obviously we got a lot of connections which go throughout the U.S. And I was just reading an article here, and, you know, we just had that railroad strike where the government was kind of pressuring them to get this uh, contract uh, to go. And I've been reading, saying that they they have a very shortage of crew people on these trains. So... All over the all over the country, there's people who don't want to work, and now you're hearing more about this uh, labor shortage and supply chain. How do you think the government can impact that? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I had a, that's a great point, Edward. I had even forgot about that. But the last time we were talking about 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 rail carriage, it was because there was this concern that there'd be a strike, and we all know how much we need rail transportation. It brings just about everything across. There's a you know, I brought in a list. It's too it's longer than my arm of the different things that were on this on this train. Um, you know, it's amazing. It is a 1.7 mile long train that derailed 150 cars, as Stephen told us in the previous call. They had a crew of two plus a trainee. What I went back and looked at at what the issues were in in the last. Uh, negotiation, it was to have a minimum of two on the train. It's like two is not even that, that low a number, apparently. I mean, I think that, you know, and this is my bias. My bias is that regulators should be listening first and foremost to the residents directly impacted by these tracks. Secondly, by the people who work on these trains who can, they, they're the ones that'll tell you, look, I'm, they're not, I'm not a shareholder. I'm just part of this company. I work on this thing. Here's the problem that we have with overheating ball bearings or whatever. And again, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. And then third, you ask the industry, you ask those guys, hey, you know, what do you need and what are your constraints and everything else? And I'm not saying you do every last rule. No one's ever going to be completely safe. But when you have, I mean, it's not, it doesn't take long. Look, it doesn't take long to go and take a look and see. There are plenty of people warning about this, about these problems. And then there just seems to be just plain out misbehavior by the the rail companies. I mean, by any definition that I looked at, this should have been labeled as highly dangerous, flammable content. I don't know how much difference it would have made. But that's my hope. That's my hope. Um, Next, let's go to uh, who do we have up next? Let's just go to George in Rockland. George, welcome back, pal. Well, nice hearing from you. You always bring uh, a topic which really uh, makes us uh, think about it a lot. So thank you for that. Okay, so uh, lobbying or power of lobbying. Okay, while uh, I'm definitely on your side when it comes to corporate lobbying, but I want to ask you something else. Okay, what about there's a huge power in New York State and outside of the teachers lobbying? What about the lawyers lobbying, okay? What about uh, Wall Street lobbying? I mean, uh, and then the last thing here is when we talk about cor- cor- people that corrupted, uh, what about coming with a term limit for elected officials? So at least, you know, if somebody is corrupted, he will not stay there forever and ever and ever. Yeah, well, George, you, George, you make you make. First of all, lobbying is just a, a a verb to be trying to influence your government. You know, if you have a block association is trying to get a stop sign on your block, you're a lobbyist. That's not the the problem. And by the way, getting rid of the elected officials, you know who that empowers? The bureaucrats who you don't know who make all these rules. That doesn't necessarily solve your problem. We're talking about the power of lobbying. We're talking about the East Palestine train derailment. I'm taking you to three o'clock. Left versus right, Curtis is going to come in. And I've already said this, I am going to walk out of the studio if he wants to talk about China balloons anymore. When we come back. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC.
here with you on the middle. That's Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes bringing us back in with a song written by Miami Steve Van Zandt. Was he Miami Steve or Little Steve? And so South Jersey getting their music played today. We're talking about the power of money in politics. And i got to say, this is a bipartisan issue. It used to be the big donors were all the Republicans, and so Democrats screamed and yelled. Then in the rise of the Internet, and now more and more left money has come in, more and more small donors have made the AOCs of the world possible. And because of dark money, there are the Soroses out there, there are the Murdochs out there, there are the Koch brothers out there, the money is awash and everything. But I know what there is not. There is not the association of residents of East Palestine, Ohio, fighting for their kids to grow up in a safe environment. That there isn't. Those people are not represented. And, um, you know, I heard their congressman on the radio saying everything was fine. All this is under control. I bet you if I looked hard, I probably wouldn't have looked that hard. I would be able to find donations from the railroad industry to their congressman. I mean, that's that's just my experience in this line of work. That's that's what I think, you know. That's what I think uh, you're going to wind up finding. It's just, it, this is not – now, and the corporate interests, they love be, this being a left versus right kind of dynamic. But for most people in the middle, we're not being represented by a lot of these things that wind up happening. Now, are there changes when Democrats come into the White House as opposed to Republicans? Yes. There's a different focus. Like I said, it was a, it was a rule that Donald Trump got rid of that Obama put in place. But the rule that Obama put in place was only about this breaking issue, nothing about steel – you know, reinforced tankers and things like that. So, so there is, there's, there's, I mean, to call it blame to go around makes it sound like both siderism. What there really is, is a fundamental structural problem that there's so much money in the system that individual bureaucrats, and I don't use that in the pejorative sense, an individual bureaucrat who sits down and he says, my job is to make things safe on the railroads. He gets pushed back every single day by guys who are trying to make sure that their corporate interests are represented. Let's go to David and Passaic. David, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I just want to consider what you're saying. The money goes full circle. The money always goes to the administration, pass the legislation, and the lobbyists pass the money to the uh, politicians. And it's always full circle. Nothing's resolved. It's a way to raise capital for the politicians. They can pass legislation. They know they'll get money. And nothing gets done. It's an endless circle. No, no, it's not that nothing gets done. David, it's not that nothing gets done. It's that what the people that are giving the contributions want to get done. Of course. Winds up happening at the cost of people like those in East Palestine, Ohio, or Flint, Michigan. I mean, look, let me me just make make a a point here, and that David, David touched on it. Politicians respond to their constituents, right? So if the example I would always use when I was a congressman is if, pick a company, General Electric came in and they said they wanted to put a, a power line down the middle of Bedford Avenue in my district. I would I don't care if they gave me a $5,000 contribution, a million-dollar contribution or whatever. I wouldn't do it because my constituents would be furious. They'd throw me out. But when it comes to something relatively obscure, like heat sensors on train ball bearings so that we know when they're going to overheat so that we can slow down the train or brakes or seal – these things that are relatively obscure or a section of the tax code or something about preventing foreign uh, um, um, uh, b- baby formula from being imported into the country. No one's out there yelling and screaming about that. You don't hear conversations about that unless something goes horribly wrong like they have in this case. So for a member of Congress in East – and I'm going to look this up. I'll have this for you by Saturday or maybe on Wednesday when I do my podcast, The Middle Unplug, I'll have it sorted out. I'm going to go look up the congressman for this area. And I'm going to see the contributions he took from the from the railroad industry. I bet you he has. And I'm going to then I'll also look to see if he got any contributions from the the union that represents railroad and maybe maybe he's gotten that too. The point is that when these things operate in relative obscurity, is when really bad things wind up happening. And the only way to really protect yourself is not to say we're going to fire politicians every six or eight years because then you just have the bureaucrats who are still there. But you put. Limits on the contributions that these that folks can make to politicians, to parties, to presidential campaigns. That's what that's the thing. You know, in Citizens United, the famous court case, the Supreme Court of the United States said corporations 
have analogous rights as individuals, as people do. So you can't limit what they can spend. You see the problem? Imagine if a corporation can spend on their position what you can spend sitting there in your living room. You want to make a contribution to your local assemblyman, your local councilman, you write a $100 check. They write a $10,000 check or a half a million dollar check to run TV commercials against you. That's the difference. Whoever has the money gets to dictate this stuff. And the more obscure and Byzantine the regulation, the more influence that they wind up having. I mean, it really does come if, – if there was one single thing that with a stroke of a pen I could change, it would be this outsized influence that money has in our system. I mean, that would be the thing, you know, that – maybe that and gerrymandering. But, like, that would be the thing, you know, because, you know, I'm a middle-class guy. Mom was a school teacher. My dad was a neighborhood lawyer, hung his shingle outside our place on 6th Street. I didn't have this Rolodex from some fancy club. I went to a state university kind of thing. Middle-class guy. So for me to get elected to the city council, we had that back then. It was the very early days of matching contributions, one for one. Now it's eight to one. Maybe that's a little bit too much. But the possibility for someone like me, and that was in the year, it was 1991 when I ran for my first race for city council, 1998 when I ran for Congress. Someone like me, a middle, uh, like a middle-class guy, you know, just grew up in the neighborhood, we couldn't get elected anymore. Who do we call for millions and millions of dollars? And so what you wind up getting are people that get elected to office who already have millions of dollars. Or people that can raise money because they've got, like, huge TikTok followings or whatnot. So if you take the need to raise all that money somehow, or you make it so transparent that the moment, you know, that we know exactly where these... These, these companies are lobbying, and we can keep an eye on them. And then to make it worse, again, I'm getting off, now we're like letting all the dominoes fall. Who used to keep an eye on all this stuff? A vigorous media. Newspapers are dying. Local media is dying. I mean, what winds up happening is that is that democracy kind of, you know, wastes away on the vine while these big corporate interests, and I've done episodes on this. Giant windfalls, giant profits, tiny percentage of their income going to taxes. And so when it comes time, there's like, you know, a standstill with labor unions because they want two guys on a train. <laughs> That's not even that much. So we're going to go to break and when we come back, we'll do some final calls. Also, a couple of people calling and saying I shouldn't complain about Jordan. I'm not. I love him so dearly. He might be right. Maybe I should when it's 70 degrees outside and it's sunny and I'm taking off my jacket and wearing a sweater. I should say, God, this is terrible. We're boiling. On the middle, so great to have you along. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Smith bring us back in. That song was written by Bruce Springsteen, who employed Miami's little Steve Van Zant. I keep saying Miami Steve. Maybe he was called that at one point. Who wrote songs for Southside Johnny? This is a South Jersey episode of the Middle. Let's go back to the phones. We have some some phones here. That, that people like talking about this kind of stuff. You know, the, the thing about this this trained around is everyone has their own takeaway. I was watching, you know, Fox News, and there's oh my god, it's the you know Biden screwed this up. That is both parties, man. If you're a train, if if you want to want to pick teams, pick blue or red, but don't be a corporate stooge. Where they have so many of their own. Uh, next, we have Evelyn and Ridgewood. Evelyn, welcome back to the call. 
Oh, yeah. Hi. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Uh, my original comment, your show is covering so much ground today, but my original comment was on Fetterman because she mentioned him in the beginning. And um, it, it's unfortunate what happened to him, but I saw him in the interviews. I saw him in the debate. The man was not well when he was running. Um, it was obvious that they were propping him up in the best light possible. The voters, well, the voters voted for him, so there's nothing I can say about that. But now um, he must be in such terrible shape that they had to admit that they have this depression problem. And it's unfortunate because he, I think the Democratic Party, whatever the campaign, they propped him up as a strong man from the beginning, and they just shouldn't have put him in that position. Do you, do you think that – I hear you, Evelyn. But you, I hear you, know, and I appreciate that thought. But, Evelyn, do you think that someone who has a stroke should lose their job? No, it's not that. It's that he was uh, – they're putting him in a position where he, he can't work. He, and, and I think that they knew that, uh, that, that because it was, it was pretty obvious that it was going to happen. And uh, All right. No, I don't think you're, – you're right. If, that's, if you're going to go to the extreme, anybody should have a stroke. We're going to have to say lose their job. No, of course not. But it was a bad situation, and I think that people knew about it. And unfortunately, he's the one that's going to suffer, and his constituents suffer because who is representing them when he's in this position? Somebody else is. But yeah, but really here's are. here's the thing. I mean, I I hear that, but let's look at the other side of this. Is it? And Evelyn's brought up something interesting to think about, and we thought about this a little bit during the campaign. In a way, what we're getting to watch in real time is a guy that had a fairly common and fairly serious thing that millions of Americans have all the time, which is a stroke. Now, we don't get to see other stroke victims every day. If we live in their families or we know them or we're a medical uh, expert, then we maybe we do. But most people don't get to see a stroke victim up there on a stage wearing a suit and tie trying to debate the issues of the day. And most people that have strokes, it's not like, well, if you don't come back to work by the first Tuesday in November, then you don't you basically lose your job and you lose your chance to serve your your neighbors and everything else. And then because he was under that kind of strain or pressure, whatever it is, now he's suffering from depression and he comes out and he says it right out loud. He says, I'm suffering from depression. I'm going to get some care. There's something about it that is not sinister or deceptive, but is very, very transparent. I mean, what is the lesson? I And I think about this a lot and, you know, I'm wearing you out. I'm just mentioning Jordan too much, but I think about this a lot. Like, what do you want to, what do we want to message about all this? And what I want to message about this is he's, he had a, a health thing. And one of the symptoms of the health thing is he has trouble understanding words and language. And that usually people sit and rest for, you know, extended period of time. He couldn't, he had to make a decision. Either I drop out of the race or I try to get back on my feet as quickly as I can. And now he's really struggling, and he says it right out loud. Can you imagine 30 years ago, you know, in Kennedy's time, someone putting out a press release saying, I'm suffering from depression, I'm going to go get help? Never happened. And I bet you right now there are probably thousands and thousands, if not a million people, who are struggling with depression who now say, you know what? He went out and said it. I'm going to to, to go seek help for this. Did you know the number? That I just read, Huma read it to me the other day, a third of all people that suffer strokes wind up having, as an after effect, clinical depression. That's a, I didn't know that. Now I do. Why do I know that? Because of Senator John Fetterman. I mean, let's take the politics out of it a little bit. You know, I'm concerned about his constituents. I love you, Evelyn. You're, you're, you're congressman, your senators, you're, you're represented. Don't worry. They're doing okay. I mean, these are tough. These are tough issues. By the way, a, a version of the, you know, a version of the same issue is in California, a much tougher version where someone is just, and maybe the presidency. You know, when people just become old, you say, well, this isn't a short-term thing. This is a longer-term thing. But I kind of find it admirable to some degree, and maybe it's my experience with mental health issues and and the number of people that call me because I'm on the radio and I speak about them, and like people coming and saying to me on the street, "So I'm glad you said that because I've got a relative or I myself have it." Maybe it's I'm extra sensitive to that, but I like the way it's it's being transparent. And and by the way, it was transparent during the campaign to to a, a, they they went through a period of a couple of weeks where you didn't hear from Fetterman like what's going on. 
And then they did the interviews. They didn't go particularly well. It was really tough to watch. I found it, and I said this at the time when I predicted Fetterman would win. That when he got up there with his halting speech and clearly struggling, to me, it added humanity to the guy. He was uh, he was up against a cardboard cutout of a classic politician with the red tie and the perfect suit. This guy looked like a human being struggling with human being things. And And as we sit here, let's just remember that, you know, that we all know someone in our family. We all have a neighbor. We all know these types of health things, you know, you should just pray they – they pass you by and protect you and that God protects your, your family or, or gives you something you can handle. But I kind of like the idea that a member of the United States Senate stood up in a, in, you know, in a press release, said, I'm suffering from depression. I'm going to get help. The rates of suicide being what they are. I mean, you, you kind of think that kind of thing would help. I mean, would I be saying the same thing if he was Republican? The answer is I think I would. I think when it comes to health kind of things, I think those those are the kind of transcendent things that we all have situations. We all, and I say this about addiction all the time, we all have, we're one or two degrees away from it. No one gets to pick that they're going to be, you know, they're going to have a disease, they're going to have diabetes, or they're going to have epilepsy, or they're going to have some rare blood disorder, or they're going to be an addict, or they're going to have a stroke. So we've had a lot to talk about today. I really appreciate you being along on the middle. You know, the, the support for the show, it's almost, we're almost coming up on the one year mark of this. And the response has been remarkable. Um, great feedback from people, great numbers and all these rating things, although I still don't understand them completely. And what it comes down to is I think that the thesis that I brought into this is that we have enough far right and far left in the world that there's so much that unifies us. We have a basic, we don't, Leave our politics at the door. We don't abandon our philosophies. We are Democrats. We are Republicans. We're conservative. We're liberal. But we also recognize that there's an overwhelming middle in this country that has a lot that we agree upon. And it starts by having good conversations about it. And I really am so grateful that you've been part of this one, that you've let me into your lives. You left me into your home. You left me into your radio. And I hope to see you again on Saturday. We'll be back at 3 o'clock right at the top of the hour with Left versus Right with the inimitable Curtis Lee, thank you so much for being along. Talk Radio 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.